You already know the fun of King's Island. Blue ice cream for lunch, catching your breath between screams on the beast. But this summer at King's Island, this is 50. Don't miss their 50th anniversary celebration all summer long with new shows, new food, and new fun. It's King's Island's biggest summer yet. And now through August 14th, King's Island is turning up the excitement with a daily 50 Years of Fun street party. It features dancers, music, and more, commemorating the last 50 years. Make plans today at visitkingsisland.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All Hit Radio Welcome to the X-Zone A place where fact is fiction And fiction is reality Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell Welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the shores of Lake Ontario between the city of Toronto and Niagara Falls. If you'd like to uh, send an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, TV, And to find about the great programming we have available for you 24-7, 365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. And as always, the Exxon is coming to you around the world on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and iHeart Radio. And don't forget, we can also be watched on Simul TV. My guest this hour is Erica Mailman, and uh, let's just take a look at her website at www.ericamailman.com. And it says, welcome to my website. I write historical fiction, sometimes with a contemporary narrative. If you'd like to travel to medieval Germany, Gold Rush San Francisco, 1892 Massachusetts, or the early Oakland during the fight for suffrage, you've come to the right place. Joining me now is Erica Mailman, and Erica, welcome to the X-Zone. Thank you so much, Rob. It's nice to talk to you. Nice talking to you, too. My goodness, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how your journey to writing uh, came about. Oh, um, I've been interested in writing fiction and poetry ever since I was a a child in fourth grade Mm -hmm. was when I first kind of had the idea I wanted to write. And um, I've had a long circuitous journey to publication. And um, most recently in October, 
2017, my novel, The Murderer's Maid, a Lizzie Borden novel, was um, released from Yellow Pear Press. And that tells the, um, the narrative of the Lizzie Borden double murders, but from a really unusual perspective, which is from the family's Irish maid, Bridget Sullivan, mm-hmm. who was the only other person in the house that day besides Lizzie Borden, who everybody believes committed the murders but was acquitted, and the victims. Tell me, why is the Lizzie Borden story still being told so many years later when there's only been two deaths compared to the number of mass murders that are out there these days? You know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about why do we still care about this Mm -hmm. very small provincial um, double murder from 1892, and it's now, you know, 175 years later. Um, Even this summer coming out, um, we have a major motion picture that's going to be distributed after a Sundance preview starring some pretty spectacular actors. Um, my novel came out, several other novels and nonfiction books came out around the same time. There's just been so much interest and it continues and continues. And I have two theories for why I think we still really care about Lizzie Borden. One of them is that the idea of murdering a parent, and I should say Lizzie is accused of murdering her father and her stepmother, Mm -hmm. not her natural mother. Um, There's something so taboo about the idea of killing a parent. And if you think about like the ancient stories, we have like Oedipus Rex. Um, there's just a, such a monumental wrongness to murdering the person who brought you into the world. So I think that's a big part of why we're so interested in this story almost 200 years later. The other reason I think is that it seems like if she was indeed guilty, that she got away with it. Um, She was acquitted, lived a long life after the murders, Mm -hmm. in fact, lived as long after as before, and died an old woman. Um, So I think there's some curiosity um, about what is it like to have gotten away with such a brutal murder. So tell us, what happened in Fall River, Massachusetts on August the 4th, 1892? Well, this was a day that was a very, very hot August day. In fact, Mm -hmm. the um, Fall River Health Department had reported um, some deaths just from heat exhaustion. Um, And that day in this um, small home in which Lizzie and her sister Emma, who was older than her, Lizzie was 36, her sister was older, they still lived in the family home. Um, around this age, they would have been considered, you know, spinsters, women who had missed their chance to marry and go start their own families. Uh, so they lived in the home with their, their elderly um, father and stepmother and, of course, the Irish maid. Um, this, the older sister, Emma, was away. She was visiting friends. So it was just Lizzie, the parents, and the maid. And Mr. Borden had breakfast and then went out um, to walk and do some of his um, business Um, journeying throughout the town of Fall River, Massachusetts. While he was away, Mrs. Borden went upstairs to the guest bedroom and she was um, putting a pillowcase on the guest bed and um, never left that room. She was felled by 19 hatchet blows to her head um, and one to the back of her upper shoulder. Um, But pretty much everything was focused on her head, a particularly brutal Um, and one would think rage-inspired crime. Mm -hmm. Some hours passed, and then Mr. Borden came home. He was welcomed into the home and uh, went to sort of rest on the 
family sitting room sofa and took a nap, we believe, and while he was sleeping was also hatcheted to death with 11 blows. Mm. So maybe some subdued anger, um, not quite as much as what his wife Abby faced. So what was believed to be the motive for the murders? Well, a lot of people think that um, if Lizzie had done it, that she was she was motivated by greed because Mr. Borden was actually um, in the money of the time, mm-hmm. um, a millionaire. He was he was very wealthy. He was on the board of several banks. He um, was involved in um, textile mills, which were very booming at the time. Uh, but they lived in a neighborhood that was far below what they could have afforded. And um, some some of the sources lead us to believe that she wanted to entertain on a higher level. Maybe she blamed that for why she hadn't had romantic success. Um, I think she just felt, you know, trapped in that, in that small, narrow, claustrophobic house. And in fact, after the murders, um, she and her sister financially benefited. They were the sole heirs because Abby died first. So none of her relatives were in the flow of, of uh, inheritance. And the sisters took that money and indeed bought a fancy home in that area of town that they coveted mm-hmm. living in. What do we know about Lizzie Borden as a person? We know that she um, was moody and... Um, some of the uh, anecdotal stories about her are that she was, you know, fiery tempered mm-hmm. and could snap at people. But she was also um, having a personality that was very devoted to charitable service and philanthropic kind of um, benevolence. So she was very, very active in her church. She belonged to a lot of the church organizations like the uh, Fruit and Flower Mission, which brought fruit and flowers to um, sick poor women, um, things like that, where uh, Christian, um, the, uh, the temperance movement, mm-hmm. she was involved in these kinds of um, women's circles within the church. So that, I think, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that doesn't seem to be the kind of person that would hatch at her parents. Exactly so. And I, I think maybe that was, um, was that conscious on her part? Like I will build up a, um, a, a reputation in the community for being very good? Or was it just that there was so little else to do that she's like, okay, I guess I'll volunteer on Sunday afternoon so I have something to do after church? Or um, is it possible? Or the third is that she was actually motivated to be a good person, <laughs> which or maybe is the most likely. There's, an, there's another possibility. What's that? Maybe she didn't kill her parents. That is absolutely a very strong possibility, and and the jurors of 1893 believe that. What do we know about the Irish maid? We know that when she um, first arrived in the United States from Ireland, she was, um, I I use the phrase, restless, because she moved around from state to state Mm -hmm. in a period of just a few years. And even within Fall River, she had worked for two other families before she came to the Bordens. Um, She was somebody who just moved a lot. And um, we know that she tried to quit with the the Bordens because it was such a tense home and um, joyless, I believe. And Mrs. Borden begged her to stay. And so she did. She stayed a little longer, um, probably to her detriment, because then she was 
you know, pulled into all of the drama around around these murders. You and I have to take our first break. Please stand by, Erica. Exxon Nation, Erica Mailman is our guest of this hour. She's the author of The Murderer's Maid, a Lizzie Borden novel, and her website is ericamailman.com. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. As I've been telling you, we're going to be moving our studios and corporate offices coming June. We're going to be moving them to two places. Our Canadian corporate offices will be moved to Niagara, Ontario, where the Exxon started over 28 years ago. And we're also opening up corporate and uh, studios in Sarasota, Florida. So the Exxon will be coming to you six months of the year from Niagara, Ontario, and six months of the year from Sarasota, Florida. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. Don't go away. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone radio show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone broadcast network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV. Plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand worldwide and more does this sound like tomorrow's television well it is but you can have it today right now it is simul tv simul tv offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like x-zone sci-fi and horror we are worldwide no other provider offers that 500 built-in video games no need to have an extra expensive system we have them included free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. 
To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Erica Mailman is my guest for this hour explanation. She's the author of, are you ready for this? The Murderer's Maid, <laughs> a Lizzie Borden novel. Chop, 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 chop. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, why do we pay all the attention to Lizzie Borden and not the others who could have been suspect? That's an excellent question. Um, Lizzie wasn't immediately suspected right after um, the two bodies were discovered. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were discovered separately, I should point out, um, in some really weird and suspicious way in which Lizzie suggested that um, people go upstairs after her father's body had been located because maybe I heard my stepmother come in. Me better go check. Uh, anyway, um, she wasn't immediately suspected, and, and so for several days, she just kept sleeping in her room, and um, although the house was a live crime scene, it was it was very loosely treated. Police were stationed outside, but mm-hmm. not inside, so there was certainly any number of ways in which Lizzie or any other um, guilty persons could have um, hidden evidence or, or changed things within the home, and in fact, Andrew and Abby, the victims, also stayed there overnight and were um, autopsied in the dining room. Uh, There was a thought that there was probably some enraged person who had had bad business dealings with Mr. Borden, who who came in and killed him and also his wife. Right. For me, I kind of wonder why, you know, if you're so angry at Mr. Borden that you will also kill his defenseless and, and innocent wife, why was then not Lizzie also attacked because she was in the house during the time of both murders. But were the vote, were both of them found in the same bed? No. no Mrs. I'm... Borden was found upstairs in the guest room, um, face down on the floor next to the bed where mm-hmm. she had been changing a pillowcase. Mr. Borden was found um, on the main floor of the home on the sitting room sofa. So he came home not knowing his wife was already upstairs dead at that point. And we believe there was, you know, like an hour and a half between the two murders. Enough time had elapsed that her um, digestive system was at a different stage than his was, which is important when you think about the line of inheritance, that if he died first, all of his wealth goes to his wife and then her, you know, relatives. Uh, Lizzie and her sister hated um, Abby and her relations, which would help um, defend the idea that, that maybe Lizzie had killed her. Uh, so because Mrs. Borden did die first, all of her, her share in the Borden wealth went then to her husband and then thence to his children only. What about the people of the town? How did they react to the murder? Did they think that Lizzie was guilty? No, right, right away people were so, um, outraged and upset that Lizzie was, was considered capable of murder, you know, everybody kind of Mm -hmm. circled around her to say like, oh, how could they think you could do something so brutal? You're a wonderful woman. You're, you're so involved in, in church work. Um, but as time went on and, um, Lizzie failed her inquest, (laughs) um, I guess you could say she was found quote, probably guilty at the inquest. 
and then arrested. And she spent a year, well, close to a year in prison, in jail, awaiting her trial in June of 1893. And during that time, I think people's um, support of her started to wane. Some of um, her closest friends, including Alice Russell, converted from being um, people who would testify in her defense to people who would testify against her and help the prosecution. So I think um, emotions cooled. And after she was acquitted and and went to live in her home uh, that had a name of Maplecroft in Fall River, she stayed in Fall River but just moved to a nicer neighborhood, Um, people would um, pull up carts to meet the train and charge um, people, like day trippers, to to drive to her house, and they would stand outside and narrate while she was inside. You know, probably able to hear some of the shouted narration about her her supposed crimes. Also, um, oh, just like they're doing yeah. these days when they stay there as a bed and breakfast. Exactly uh, so. Some things yes. never change. eh? follow the money. <laughs> Yeah, people are people are interested in the lurid nature of this crime, mm-hmm. and little children would um, ring her doorbell and then run away. Those kinds of things, those kinds of small cruelties, and also, of course, the the rhyme, the jump rope rhyme, mm-hmm. is supposed to have been um, you know like a childish invention with which they taunted her, um, and it may be worth saying that rhyme just because it's um, so well known. Sure, go ahead. And, it's a lot of people's first introduction, in fact, mine, to the to the whole circumstances of, of this case. And it's Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her mother 40 whacks. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Uh, so she was um, tormented. She was cut on the street, um, that old-fashioned word that means, like, you know, uh, um, she would be approaching yeah. somebody on the street and they would kind of cut their chin away from her and pretend they didn't see her. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I was listening to something just earlier today that suggested that maybe that was less because they thought she was guilty and maybe more just because she had been tainted by the whole distastefulness of spending close to a year in jail and yeah. being touched by the distasteful events of this double murder. So that's a possibility, too. Maybe they were just like, this isn't genteel and ladylike, and so I'm just going to pretend I don't see you. Tell me about the trial. All right, so that um, took place starting in June of 1893. Mm-hmm. The murders had been in August of uh, 1892, so almost a year later. Uh, it, it had some very um, theatrical moments, in, including um, the the skulls of Mr. and Mrs. Borden were produced in trial. The, um, the bodies had been, unbeknownst to Emma and Lizzie, the daughters had been decapitated during a second autopsy that Ooh. took place in the town cemetery. Um, well, in an outbuilding at the cemetery, mm-hmm. not outside. Uh, and um, a doctor had taken those heads and um, rendered them down to the bone. In other words, he had boiled them on his kitchen stove. And they were shown um, to to the jurors because uh, by the prosecution because the thought was that, oh my gosh, look at what little is left of these skulls. Like, this is how hard these people were hit over and over again. And they thought that this would be um, a dramatic way of of showing how 
vicious the crimes have been, but it actually backfired because there was this sense of Lizzie as this very um, retiring and kindly woman. And so, of course, the jurors saw those skulls and thought she's not capable of having exactly. done that. No woman could lift a hatchet and bring it down that many times into people's skulls. And the aspect of it that was the most dramatic was that um, the the skulls had been kept in a, like a little satchel. Um, they were going to have, you know, a big reveal, but um, the attorney went to grab something else on, on his table and the skulls kind of tumbled out of the bag and Lizzie actually fainted in court at the site. So I'm sure that that was just an extraordinary moment in a courtroom to see that happen. I would imagine so. I would imagine so. How long did it take the jury to come up with the not guilty verdict? <laughs> um, they took an hour, but it is said that actually they stretched that out to make it seem like they had been you know, taking their, their duty more seriously. Mm -hmm. Because really, they just pretty much instantly knew that they were going to acquit her, and they didn't believe it was possible she could have committed these crimes. If the jury found her not guilty, how come she was never vindicated by the townspeople? Well, that is the question of the centuries, because, you know, I read through the trial transcripts myself. Mm -hmm. They're online, by the way, if anybody's listening, just start Googling. You can, you can find them in their entirety. Um, I just feel that it's so ludicrous, the contradictions that Lizzie Borden gave um, her, you know, just there are many other circumstances I haven't mentioned yet. Like soon after she was, um, soon after she learned that she was suspected, she burned a dress of hers in her kitchen stove at home. Right. You know, which is just like very strange timing. Your house is a, is a crime scene and you're suddenly burning a dress. Um, there was a, um, somebody who was going to testify that Lizzie had tried to buy prussic acid, which is, a poison um, in the days right before the murders. And in fact, everybody in the household was vomiting before the murders and Bridget was vomiting the day of. And uh, the, the doctor who lived kitty corner from them, Mrs. Borden went to see him the day before she was killed to say, I feel like somebody's poisoning us. So there, there are just so many, many little details that when you, you, um, you know, one by one you could discount them, but when you have this kind of critical mass, I just feel, I of course reserve judgment mm -hmm. that she may have been innocent, but, but my she, gut feeling but was, is that she was not. So if she was found guilty by, uh, innocent by her peers, why continue the story? To me, it's, uh, all right, she, you know, she, she was charged with murder, she was found not guilty, life goes on, ooh, blah, dee, ooh, blah, da. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I guess it's just one of those things, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people who's so fascinated by history that I just, I focus on like one kind of a thing at a mm -hmm. time and I obsess about it. I read everything I can about it. And I think about it endlessly. Um, and I think that that, this particular case has that appeal to some people because it is so strange and because it seems so miraculous that she was acquitted. You and I have to take our break after the news. We'll be right back. Exonation. Our guest this hour is Erica Mailman. Her website is ericamailman.com. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. Don't go away. We'll be back in a few minutes.
broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. The scientist and the mystic have been on an age-old relentless search with one thing in common. They seek truth. Their paths converge in the 40,000-year-old practice of shamanism, an ancient science delving to the quantum level of life, facilitating healing, manifestation, and evolution. I'm Gwilda Wiecka the founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Arts School, a unique Colorado State certified occupational school training shamanic practitioners and teachers. We also provide classes for empowering personal lives through shamanism. Our certification classes are in week-long segments enabling international participation and online classes and long-distance shamanic healing sessions are available. Come discover the science of magic in the limitless world of shamanism. www.findyourpathhome.com Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365 Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God, and finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Welcome back, everyone. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 7 a.m. Eastern. No, I don't do this show all by myself that time. We do <laughs> we do the the live version from seven from 10 until two, and then from two until seven. It's the best of after after everybody is settled into their bed. We want to scare the heck out of a few people. <laughs> 
Exo Nation, my guest this hour is Erica Mailman. We're talking about Lizzie Borden. She's the author of The Murderer's Maid, a Lizzie Borden novel. I understand you actually stayed in the Lizzie Borden house. I did. Um, back in August of 2016, I spent the night. Mm-hmm. And um, I had been very loath to do that for a lot of reasons. One of which is, um, as much as I am attracted to the morbid nature of the crime, I I also realized that this was a tragedy for Andrew and Abby Borden, and that um, if there if there are ghosts um, and they still are there, they're they're probably tormented by the gleeful nature with which people visit the home and look at where they died. Mm-hmm. Um, but my editor really insisted that I go spend the night because I was going to the East Coast anyway. And she's like, you got to swing by, you got to spend the night. There's also, um, besides my book being a historical narrative from Bridget um, Bridget Sullivan's point of view, it also has a contemporary narrative with a modern-day woman who actually goes and spends the night in the house. So it really made sense for me to go so I could write those scenes with some um, veracity. So I went and um, I got an old college friend to spend the night with me because there was no way I was going to stay there by myself. And we stayed in Bridget Sullivan's attic room. And initially I was excited because the two murders happened um, on the ground floor and the first floor, and we were going to be up on the second floor. So I was thinking, oh, we're, we're made in the shade. Yeah. We're not going to be facing anything. And as soon as we, we showed up, we parked in the, the back lot where the orchard once was that Lizzie Borden famously... Uh, claimed she was eating pears while murders happened. Um, now it's a paved parking lot. As soon as we um, entered the house, we were told by a tour guide, she said, oh, you're up on the third floor. You're near the most haunted part of the house. So I was like, no, are you kidding me about this? Um, so it's a really interesting stay. And um, I totally hand it to the Lizzie Borden bed and breakfast people because they give an uh, an utterly respectful tour of the home and it's so thorough there's um our tour guide was um colleen johnson she had an encyclopedic memory of a knowledge of the of the boarding case and of course i had been reading up like crazy because i was writing a book and so i could ask her questions and she knew all the answers and she knew many things that i i hadn't encountered yet it was just a wonderful tour it takes two hours to go through this this house from um attic to cellar um, stopping in every room and, and learning all the facts. And you would think a two-hour tour of a small home would be a little bit of maybe a drag. Oh, it's so spectacularly interesting. It's so well done. And um, after you have your two-hour tour, you get to eat snickerdoodles. And um, and then they leave you with the other guests in the home alone. <laughs> and when we realized that, we, who are all strangers to each other, you know, we were staying in the different rooms of the home. We're like, wait a minute, you're, you're going? You're leaving us here by ourselves? And she's like, yep, there's a, there's a phone in the kitchen if you need to call 911. So it's really an interesting um, trust-driven kind of business because there you are in this historic home ah. and you're with other people who are interested in the case I think who you, you met a few hours earlier. I think you hit the, ha- the nail on the head when you said, business <laughs> yeah. you know it's a cash cow what else is there to do in that part of uh, massachusetts what else is there in fall river 
Well, it's pretty interesting. I have some fairly fresh news. Um, Maplecroft, which is, I mentioned earlier, is the the home where um, Lizzie and her sister moved to after the murders. Uh That has been purchased by the same couple, and they are trying to outfit that as well as at least a a place to tour, if not to stay overnight. No, say it's um, not. Say it's not. So say they're not going to turn that into another cash cow. Well, um, I think that there probably is enough interest for them to to open the second home. And I think really for Fall River, it's something that they do need to capitalize upon because that's why a lot of people come to Fall River. They're, they have this interest in it. And so why not treat it respectfully and as respectfully as possible <laughs> and, um, and use that? I mean, certainly, if you're interested in this case, um, the idea that you could walk inside Maplecroft is pretty interesting. I'd, I'd actually really like to see it. Um, I'm going to be returning to Fall River this summer. If anybody in um, Ontario, Toronto area wants to head towards Massachusetts, I'll be there June 7th actually doing a presentation in the public library mm-hmm. um, in Fall River about Lizzie Borden and about my book. Um, and there's also um, the... Oh, go ahead. No, no. I was going to say there's also a, a cemetery, Oak Grove, which is, you know, as I said, where the, the um, bodies were deta- decapitated. Um, and there's a big Borden plot there with all of the Bordens, including a, um, a sister who had been born and died soon between the two sisters, Alice. Um, and it's really fascinating when you when you walk into the cemetery, there's there's big painted arrows on the pavement just directing you straight to the Borden plot as if you wouldn't be visiting any other folks there. It's a little bit, um, like you're saying, that, that there is a certain tour-based tour um, thinking there. Like, wow, people want to find that, that plot, so But, but we doesn't, will... it, doesn't anybody find this totally disrespectful to the dead? Like, come on. Well, I'm one of them, Rob. I, oh, I, I am one of them. I, I had severe reservations about it. Um, I just think about the fact that if I had been hatcheted and lay face down on the floor and people were talking about my my weight because there was discussions about like how could you be in the house and not hear this close to 200 pound woman hit the floor and she she died in a house dress kind of plain to the degree that they were saying like well clearly she didn't leave the house because she was in her plain house dress um it it just it was so I would think humiliating. But and how many murders are committed? Of, how many murders are committed of, each and every day in the United States with a hell of a lot more violence than than yeah. Lizzie Borden's case could ever imagine to have? And people say, "Well, okay, well that's it. You know, nobody writes about it. Nobody makes a tourist trap out of it. Nobody is disrespectful to the dead by going to these cemeteries and gawking." I, I don't get it. Okay, I have one other theory to offer okay. why this is attractive. All right. I think that the Victorian era was so death-based. You know, the, their mourning practices mm-hmm. were so severe. Um, we all know about, like, the stationery with the black rims that, you know, it's a stationery you write your letters on after somebody has died. You have to wear widow's weeds mm-hmm. for a certain number of months or even years after someone you love has died, depending on how long, or sorry, depending on, on who that person was sure. to you. Um and the the mementos, like the um, the brooches people would wear that were um, braided pieces of a dead 
person's hair because you love them and wanted to keep a piece of them with you. There was so much death in the Victorian era anyway. I think that we tend to romanticize that era. And when I think about like um, Sherlock Holmes or Jack the Ripper and you think about that London covered in fog and how there's something kind of mysterious to the, the bloody murderousness. I mean, when you look at the photos of what Jack the Ripper did, you, you're just so appalled. And yet there's something kind of strangely romantic, attractive perhaps about that fog covered city. What do you think about that? Doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> well, you, me, and Andrew and Abby Borden can um, can agree on that. I, I, I think there's something <sighs> shameful and sad about it. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, somebody... an, I'm an ex-cop, and I've gone to many homicide scenes, and I don't find I don't find anything to do with a homicide. Uh, to any degree that should be glorified in which the manner of the Lizzie Borden case has been, you know, has been glorified and to, to make money from a crime scene, in my view, it's despicable. I'm sitting here kind of nodding and trying to think about how to approach it. I don't, I don't want to defend it. No, um, no, listen, this is, you're entitled to your views. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not taking anything away from you. Or, Let me say this. I would not have purchased the home to set it up as a, as a bed and breakfast. That would not be my impulse. Mm-hmm. However, as somebody who's so fascinated by history, would I have wanted to walk through that house? Um, yes. But what historical value does it have? I, I don't understand this point. Okay, the ghoulish part, I know there's a lot of wackos out there who love this ghost, Ghostbuster stuff. I know it. But when, it, you know, like anybody wants to spend time in a cemetery looking for a dead person, a dead person's ghost, to my mind, is not a very sane person. But, hey, people do it all the time. Well, think about the fact that there's a whole line of um, the genre of murder mysteries that are called cozies. You know, as if it's like a cozy, like, pull up your blanket and let's read about somebody being brutally murdered. Um, that That... It's strange. I agree. It is. You know, I would rather bring my uh, iPad to bed with me, kiss, <laughs> kiss my wife goodnight, and watch Netflix. But that's just me. All right, we'll that's be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. All right. heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, sci-fi and horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. 
interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Expose Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades, there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. I'm William S. Peckham. If you enjoy a good mystery with a touch of the paranormal, then you'll love my novel, From Out of the Woodwork. It's the story of a young Toronto contractor, Sean Kennedy, who buys derelict homes, guts them, and turns them into multifamily dwellings. Slums just waiting to happen. When Sean buys 29 Livery Lane, the house fights back. Former owners unexpectedly come out of the woodwork as he starts the destruction. The apparitions come to him when he touches old books reads hidden letters, rummages through old boxes, finds a locket or reads a discovered manuscript of a murder mystery. From Out of the Woodwork will take you from 1899 to the horror of the World Trade Center, September 11, 2001. Check out From Out of the Woodwork on my website, www.williamspeckham.com. Welcome back, everyone. Erica Mailman is my special guest this hour, www.ericamailman.com. She's the author of The Murderer's Maid, a Lizzie Borden novel. If, in fact, Lizzie Borden did not kill her parents, and was there any investigation into who did? Yeah, certainly. <laughs> yeah, there was there was a lot of um, investigation, although yeah. maybe not to the um, level that we would have wished. Um, there, there were um, investigations into you know people who had business dealings with Mr. Borden, who mm-hmm. may have harbored resentments against him. Um, there was there were some specific people who were um, targeted. There was talk of a um, Portuguese man. There was talk of somebody who um, outside town limits was sitting on a log weeping, saying, poor Mrs. Borden, poor Mrs. Borden. So they did did try to follow leads and including um, Lizzie had said, you know, there was a period of time where Mrs. Borden was lying upstairs undiscovered but dead. Mm -hmm. Lizzie had said um, Mrs. Borden went out. She got a note from a sick friend to come and visit her. And so there was an ad in the paper where they they were offering a reward for anybody who could come forward and say, like, I was the one who sent the note or I know who was sick. Nobody came forward. Mm. 
Um, and this this case just fizzled out. It's you know it's a cold case file. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, every year on the anniversary of the murders, the um, Fall River newspaper would run this front page, totally tongue in cheek, taunting uh, headline about oh, a year later we still haven't found the culprit. Twenty years later, we still haven't found the culprit. So um, that was a little bit of needling Lizzie. Like, we know you're guilty, so like, why can't the police come up with the actual murderer? Because there isn't one. Uh, yeah, I, I think the police work was not fine that day. Um, I described some of the things previously where the the house was left unattended to people inside who could hide evidence maneuver things around. Um, in particular, the idea that if, if Lizzie had been wearing a dress while she committed these murders, they, they should be bloodstained, blood spattered. And so um, officers did go through this, um, what they called a closed press. It was a, a room for clothing storage. But at the time that they went through it, they were only looking for a potentially hidden murderer man. So they were just kind of like, thrusting dresses aside off of their off of their nails without really looking at the dresses themselves to see if there was blood on them. Lizzie did change her dress sometime after the both bodies were discovered. Um, so she may have hidden a bloodstained dress inside of another dress in the clothes press. And then later, as I described, um, she had burned a dress in the kitchen stove and that was witnessed and, and shared with uh, law enforcement. While you were at the, uh, at the Lizzie Borden place, uh, did you see any ghosts? Did you hear anything strange, weird, wonderful, bizarre? It's really interesting. I felt, I didn't feel anything. And I, I was definitely open, open-minded mm-hmm. about what I might sense there. My friend also who, who um, stayed there with me, just felt like it's just an old tired house. There's, there's nothing here. If there was anything, it is long gone. Um, there's a lot of paranormal investigations that take place at the house. And in fact, while we, while we were there, there was a man who had set up a, um, laptop, uh, like a heat sensitive camera that he left trained on the sofa all night long to see if something arose. Um, so yeah, I just, I had a, um, a strange nightmare, but that doesn't really surprise me. Uh, that, w- that was really the only thing. My friend, um, you know, we were that morning after we survived the night. <laughs> um, she was like, you know, I feel perfectly fine. I'm just going to go down to the kitchen and start the coffee brewing. I'm like, okay, great. I was writing in my journal or something. And she goes, um, <laughs> y- y- you want to go down with me? <laughs> so she felt brave, but ultimately she couldn't go down the three stories by herself. I had to go with her. Tell us about some of the other books you've written. Oh, um, I have a novel called The Witch's Trinity, which is about medieval witchcraft, about a, um, an elderly woman who's accused of witchcraft by her own daughter-in-law based on um, the statistical anomaly from medieval Germany, that that was often the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a novel called The House of Belliver, which is set in an actual... Um, house Museum in Oakland, California, a governor's mansion, but I fictionalized it, and it's a literary ghost story. And then Woman of Ill Fame is my novel about a gold rush prostitute who gets caught up in a serial killer's net and has to figure her way out of it. Wow, you've gone right across the spectrum. 
Well, you know, all the thing that all three, four of them <laughs> have in common is like a strong woman protagonist. I think I'm, I'm looking at the women of history who haven't always had a voice and giving them a voice, you know, maids, prostitutes, um, the elderly, mm. people who, um, whose names we don't remember, like the kings and queens, but people whose lives were nonetheless very important. How so? Because every life is important. I understand that, but there's a big difference between the life and times of a king or queen to that of a prostitute. <laughs> well, I don't know. The prostitute herself might say my life is um, equally valuable or more so to me because it's mine. And I think that harks to what we were just talking about before the break, that um, you know, murder is despicable because it's, it's, it's the end of that one person, and each life is supremely valuable. Oh, I'm not saying that murder is not despicable and that all life is very valuable. What I'm saying is that why waste time on writing about a prostitute when there are such other people who have contributed so much to the evolution and to society? You know, that would well, just, maybe that's, if that's that prostitute's like, birth had been of better circumstances, she would have been a queen and would have um, affected the role of time. And if my aunt had been my uncle, you know, things would have been different as well. You know, it's it's just like all the all the stories now coming out about Stormy Daniels and the president. Who gives a damn, for God's sake? She's a sex trade worker. Do you think that anybody with half a brain in their head would give her any respect? I don't. Oh, wow. You know, I, I feel like there are some people who circumstances push them into choices they wouldn't otherwise make. And um, especially in, in the era in which I set my, my mm -hmm. book in the 1800s where... Really, if you if you didn't have um, a male kin to protect you, to provide shelter, food, you have to put food on your table one way or another. And I actually have the admiration of those of those women who um, manage to thrive in the worst of circumstances. You break the law, you suffer the consequences. Oh, that's, well, that's at different favorite. points in, in our history, even in our country's mm -hmm. history, um, prostitution has been um, completely legal. And in some places, like in San Francisco, this is pretty interesting. In San Francisco and in Oakland, in a certain um, turn of the century, the other century time mm -hmm. period, um, not only was prostitution legal, but it was endorsed by the police department. And you would go and get like a passbook from the police. You would register. It was almost like a passport. Your photo was in it. And um, the pages that were stamped were stamped by a doctor every few weeks to prove that you were clear of venereal disease. So a potential um, visitor could ask to see your book and be like, okay, everything's wow. clean and good to go. So, you know, people might argue that having registration is, is a good way to control it. Not this boy. <laughs> nay, nay, nay. All right, we'll talk off the air. No, I'm kidding. Oh, really? Okay. What do you want to share? Oh, no. <laughs> I just mean in terms... Never mind. What's that? That was a bad joke. Oh. Behind every bad joke is Please a, is a bit of honesty. No, 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 no. It goes to air the way, the way we do it. Um, I was well, told there'd be editing and cake. Well, the cake is here. The editing, they lied. Hey, listen. All I right. Well, I it's hard to be judgmental when we don't know what these women faced. And... You know, if, you're, if your situation is so dire that you're going to die, 
But we could say the same thing for bank robbers. We could say the same thing for drug dealers. We could say things, same things for the illegal immigrants that are crossing the borders. You know, we can always make an excuse for somebody who is breaking the law. But at the end of the day, there is no excuse. I would argue that some of those things you mentioned were not, were not illegal. Um, What's not? Yeah. What's not illegal? Well, I just talked to you about how at certain time periods, prostitution oh, was not I, illegal. Oh, I, I agree. I'm talking about today's society. I'm talking about today's society. Well, I'm a historical novelist, and um, I guess I my head's in the 1800s okay. most of the time. Wow. Listen, I want to thank you very much for joining us tonight. It's been a great pleasure talking to you and Exxon Nation. Uh, let me just uh, see something here. Exxon Nation, if you'd like to get more information about our guest, Erica Melman, who is the author of The Murderer's Maid, a Lizzie Borden novel, her website is www.ericamailman.com. You know, darn it, Craig, I forgot to ask her one very important question. And I'll, I'll, I'll send it out to you, the Exxon Nation. If Lizzie Borden would have been uh, Leonard Borden, male. Would this story still be perpetuated by authors and throughout history? I think not. And if Lizzie Borden was found innocent by uh, the, the members of society who were part of that jury, what right does anyone have to perpetrate and continue questioning the, the legalities of her innocence, because they're only doing it to make money. It's a cash cow. And any city, municipality, who allows this to happen, man, you guys are despicable. It's just like those, those whack jobs in Roswell, New Mexico, about the UFOs and the, the aliens and everything else. Give your head a shake. Reality, reality time check, everyone. We'll be back on the other side of this news break at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour. Whatever you do, don't go away because I'll be back. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? We can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. 
We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464.